Everybody. Welcome to episode 53 of Free Weed. This is Mike Hughes. Uh, we have our first ever guest host of the program, plus an interview with Danny Danko himself, and we answer your grow questions, so stick around. So this this is an odd episode of Free Weed, uh, because Danny Danko could not be here so we have our first ever guest host, and it is our good friend Craig Coffey, Director of Technology for High Times Magazine. Welcome, Craig. Thank you very much, Mike. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. This this feels a little weird. No, honored to be here. I understand the big guy's in the air, headed to L.A. He is. He is. Now, he's going out to Los Angeles to, to get us started for the upcoming Medical Cannabis Cup. That's something that you've done many times before, right? Yeah. I've, actually, I've been to every Medical Cannabis Cup done in the United States. I've judged a few of them. I've done intake at most of them. And you're you're a judge at this one that we're doing in San Bernardino, right? I am, actually. I'm doing edibles for the very first time, and I'm a little scared, I have to say, because I'm not much of an edibles guy, but I, I kind of arrange this trip, so I have a little time on my hands, so we should be able to pull it off. You know, I'm expecting to spend a lot of time, like, horizontal, you know? Yeah. Well, how, do, how does someone judge edibles? It seems like you couldn't <clears throat> possibly consume all of what you're given. Well, you know, for the most part, like, when I've done intake and we kind of coach our judges who are judging them, I'll tell them zero in on three or four items in that box and eat them completely. But you don't have to eat the complete portion of everything in your box because our labs are going to help us figure out what the strongest thing is in there. And there's other categories that we depend on our judges that are just more important, like is it is the packaging good? Is it accurate? The dosage that it tells you on the packaging. Um, so, you know, for instance, if someone enters, like, a brownie and tinfoil or something, no packaging information. It's not going to do good with our judges. You mm-hmm. know, it may do well with our labs because our labs don't consider things like that. But uh, we depend on our judges for things like, you know, aesthetic qualities like packaging, flavor, and then also for things like if it says uh, it is uh, five milligrams of cannabis but you can't remember what happened to you for the next three days, that's bad. You know, like, it needs right. to be accurate. You, you have to be able to know what you're getting into beforehand. I know our, our colleague uh, Nico Escondido had a very bad experience with the Chibachu once, so that, that makes a lot of he, sense. He forgot to carry the decimal point over when he was <laughs> figuring was out it. his dose or something, right? I believe, I believe so, <laughs> and it was an interesting 15 hours. But um, So, okay, so I know you guys get all sorts of things like you know smoothies and ice cream and cookies and I think even beef jerky. Uh, how do you do that? Is there like a palate cleanser? Do you give it a certain amount of time between uh, different things? Well, like, I'm going to, personally, I, I'm i going to just try and, well, I'm going to start with how many things are in my kit. And then I'm going to try and break it up into an even number of things to mess around with on any given day. And then one day left at the end to review, maybe. Right. Know, we'll see how that goes. It sounds like it'll work on the first day, and we'll see how On paper, how that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's Tyson say? Everyone has a plan until they get hit in That's the face. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and just one last thing. What, what on average, um, how many items can you expect to be judging in the edibles category? Mm, usually in the high 20s. I don't think I've ever seen it go into the 30s, but like every other category is capped at 40. So that's the most it could be. Gotcha. All right, cool. Well, I, I have no doubt that that is going to be a blast and probably great for you because you don't have to oversee the competition. You actually get to be a judge. I'm so. pretty excited, yeah. man. Like, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to get personal, but my birthday is the day I get my judges kit and the Super Bowl. Happy birthday. It's my gonna God. Be a pretty Your birthday's on the Super Bowl? Day. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. It happened to me once and the Giants won in 1990. <laughs> so that was great. Um, all right. Well, let, let's just switch gears to something real quick that I think you feel strongly about. Um, there's a guy who always seems to make headlines, and at first we didn't really want to have much to do with him, but then it turns out that maybe he's a bit of a smoker. And then, you know, last week he threw some eggs and police searched his house, and then uh, just now, or just yesterday, uh, he was arrested for drunk driving at like 4 in the morning. Justin Bieber is all over the news, and and you have some advice for him, right? What would you say to Justin Bieber if he was sitting where I am? Oh, man. Well, I'll put it this way. I don't know this guy at all. He, I don't know what he's like personally, but I can see myself in his shoes, and I kind of feel bad for him. Like, uh, you know, you know most people probably understand what I'm saying. But here's the thing, Justin. Like, if, you, if you're listening to Free Weed, if you get this podcast. Like, Which he certainly is. There's a way for you to get high as fuck all the time and not get into trouble, man. Like, you can make arrangements. And, like, if, if you need more information, just get in touch with us. I can help you out. Yeah. But I'm not going to put go into the details here because I'll probably get myself in trouble or something. Fair enough. So, like, editors at hightimes.com or something, send us an email. Craig will get in touch with you, and you guys right. will figure it out. Right. Also, I feel like a standing invite, you know, if you want to come to one of these cups, we'll set you up with a judge's kit, and uh, maybe that'll turn your whole life around. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I've never seen that actually happen. But No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, well, we have – Dan couldn't be here, but before he left to go to California – we turned the tables on him, and the interviewer became the interviewee, and uh, we really got into a bunch of stuff, like his early days, uh, not just with weed, but all sorts of drugs, and then how he ended up as the senior cultivation editor of High Times Magazine. So uh, stick around. We have a great interview with uh, Danny Danko coming up next. Well, um, you have been listening to this show, theoretically, for 53 episodes, and the show is called Free Weed from Danny Danko, but how much do we really know about Danny Danko? (laughs) Uh, Today, we decided to turn the interview on the interviewer and uh, and get to know Danny Danko a little bit more. Uh, What do you say, Dan? Uh, Sounds good to me. Okay, well, let's, let's do this. So, I think the number one question most people have Danny Danko, is that your real name? Uh, nope. That is a pen name. Uh, nom de plume. Nom de plume. Or as Rick Cusick would say, nom de guerre, since we are still in a war on flowers, and uh, at least we're winning. But uh, yeah, nom de guerre. Yeah, no. And what drew you to that particular name? Was there any uh, reference? Yeah, I mean, you know, Donnie Darko was a reference. Uh, my wife really loves that movie. Uh, Rick Danko from the band was a reference. I'm a big fan of uh, of his uh, singing and bass playing in the band. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of came together. My name is Dan. Uh, I was born in Russia, so the Danko is kind of like, uh, you know, fitting for sounds Eastern European, close to my real uh, last name as well. So that's, uh, that's where that came about. And it was basically, uh, you know, if you're writing about 
growing, you kind of at least want to have one step removed. At least 10 or 12 years ago, you did. I mean, now it's not as big of a deal. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a name that I used on an article and it kind of stuck. And now it's, you know, definitely stuck. Not everyone is born with a really good pot writing name. We had a colleague <laughs> named Steve Bloom. Right. And that's his real name. Real and it's name. perfect for yeah. that time. So Danny there's a guy. There's a guy on New York One that cooks food. His name is Dan Eaton. Dan Eaton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't get Love much it. better than that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so let, you just mentioned you're from Russia. So you, you came over to America at a pretty early age, right? Yeah. My parents brought me over uh, in 1975 when I was three years old. Um, basically, you know, looking for a better life here in America, which we definitely found. And, uh, you know, I thank them for that because, uh, you know, life life in uh, Russia is tough. At least, uh, you know, it would have been, you know, I would have probably had to be in the military and fight in one of these Afghan or Chechenian wars. And um, basically, you know, uh, grew up here in the U.S. We moved to first to New York City and then we moved uh, very, very shortly to Virginia and then Houston, Texas. I basically spent from about age four to age 12 in, uh, in Texas. And then from there, we moved to Boston, the Boston area. And yeah, because I, I think of you as a Bostonian. I guess that's where yeah, you spent your I formative mean, years. Yeah, you know, 12 to 21 or so. I, I lived in Boston. I, uh, I went to, you know, to high school and uh, college in the Boston area. I went to BU, um, started off my kind of growing, pot growing career there. I uh, saw my first, you know, grow room. My friend uh, John Spar showed me that and that kind of blew my mind and made me realize that this was something you could do in a house or a closet. Uh, so that was very intriguing. And uh, yeah, so then I lived in Boston and then moved to New York after I graduated uh, BU in about 95. Well, let's, and let's I've go been here back ever since. A little before then. Um, yeah. Do you remember your first experience with marijuana? I do. I do. I have I have a couple of first experiences with marijuana, actually, because the first one, my buddy Tom Higgins and I, we smoked it out of a snowbank. And, uh, and this must have been seventh or eighth grade, I think, uh, um, junior high. Although, you know, I don't recommend that for uh, all the youngsters out there. Uh, I got to tell the truth. And so I was pretty young. I was definitely uh, interested in trying it. Didn't really get super high that first time. Didn't really feel it much. And then uh, I think a week or two later, uh, visited a an older brother of a friend with with that friend, and he rolled each of us our own joint, and that uh, definitely got me high and and got me very interested in uh, you know cannabis. And at that time, I was certainly not an activist or a grower; I was just a smoker and enthusiast, you know, listening to Bob Marley and uh, you know grew up on a lot of hip hop and and. Uh, things like that and it was just always in the mix you know you you just heard all about it and it didn't seem didn't seem like anything super dangerous it was something I wanted to try uh never really got into any of the other harder stuff so um that was really my first experiences with it you know I just remember not fearing it really at all and then feeling it and enjoying it and thinking you know this is something I can I can do for the rest of my life. Well, yeah, speaking of that, when when was that moment where you realized that this is something you wanted to do with your life? Well, you know, I mean, I kind of, you know, when I moved to New York, I, I, you know, I had jobs, but they weren't enough to really, you know, support me. Uh, so I did some growing and uh, that just kind of got bigger and bigger until that was, you know, the support thing. And, uh, you know, nothing huge like what you see in Colorado now. But, you know, for, for New York City, we had some pretty, uh, pretty, you know, decent spaces, eight lights here, you know, 20 lights there, whatever it could have been. But 
um, you know, even then it was only supposed to be kind of a temporary thing until, uh, you know, something else came around uh, career wise or something like that, you know. So, you know, I worked at a hemp clothing company prior to high times. It was Headcase Hemp Hats. And that was in the, uh, you know, late 90s, I guess, uh, 98, 99 during that period. And I started off there just, you know, shipping boxes and things like that. And just really wanted to have a gig so I could tell, you know, my girlfriend's parents yeah. <laughs> what I was, what my job was. Needed a cover was, job. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, and the cover job basically became the real job over time. And, and so, uh, well, a lot of people who are involved in the growing and just in, in the pot scene, uh, especially early on in New York city, you run into some nefarious characters. Not everybody is just all about marijuana and activism and promoting the plant. Did you have any run-ins with some of these people? Was there ever oh. a dark side to your uh. activism? <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, there's a dark side. When, you, when you're when you here in the city, you, people prey upon you, basically, because they know you can't really run to the cops. Uh, you're part of the underworld, but you're basically the kind of weakest part in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you, you, you know, it, you, at some point you do have to expose yourself to some of the greater ills. And, and I've certainly had some issues and had to take down grow rooms in the middle of the night and things like that. And some of those things can really, uh, you know, just change you a little bit as a person. And also, you know, just the paranoia that you always constantly have to live with, um, knowing that, you know, people can rob you. I was more afraid of, of, of uh, you know, being robbed than any kind of uh, police kind of thing because, you know, the police in New York are, are, they're preoccupied with other things. You'd have to fall into their lap. But uh, the criminals of New York, on the other hand, are very, you know, patient and uh, pay attention to what's going on. And if you're not protected or connected, you know, they they tend to uh, prey on you. So it is, it was tough and uh, I wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people just because uh, there's places you can do it legally now. I'd say just go to those places. Take yeah, you the... didn't have an option at the time. Really. No, no. I mean, we would go over to Amsterdam and that was where we felt uh, free, you know, go to pick up genetics and talk to the breeders and things like that. And, you know, you'd feel that over there and never really feel that here, you know, maybe Cali a little bit, you know, um, but certainly not the way it is now in Colorado and Washington and Oregon and places where, you know, you can pretty much feel uh, free of paranoia when you smoke because, you know, there's not not a lot of consequences that are going to happen. And back then here in New York, I mean, Giuliani was, you know, taking over. He shut down all the all the weed spots where you could go to buy weed. And that, you know, spawned the birth of the delivery service weed, which, you know, substantially more expensive, delivered to your house, um, created a whole industry out of that. And did you then, ever work in that? Were you ever a delivery guy? No, no, I never really did. I mean, I, I of course worked with you know delivery people, and and some of some of my harvests, I'm sure, ended up, uh, you know, in those uh, in those containers. But uh, but no, I was never really a delivery kind of guy. Was like the big that. one Cartoon Network? Was that one? Yeah, of the, well, yeah, they that one of the ones that got busted. One but the there was down, yeah. yeah, there were there were, you know there was so many different ones and. You know, ones that cater to celebrities and only go in a certain part of Manhattan, and then, you know, now they're now they're all over, and they specialize in edibles or dabs or whatever. But, um, you know, back then it was just a, a an emerging industry, and and you know, God, pounds of pot, pounds of sour were like eight grand, pounds of strawberry cough were like six grand. So, you know, this was 
you know, kind of the heyday of uh, of New York, you know, connoisseurship and that sort of thing. We heard rumors of people on Wall Street paying, a, you know, $1,000 an ounce, you know, things like that. Um, for certain things they, they didn't care about the cost of, they just wanted the best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking of making money, you know, <laughs> in sort of the black market, you... Uh, People may not know this, but you're a guy who has spent a little bit of time on the lot, like Grateful Dead lot. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, back in the 90s, we definitely, uh, you know, traveled with a couple of festivals, Horde Tour, Allman Brothers. They kind of uh, traveled along. We did a lot of shakedown streets for that. And, you know, I got to see uh, Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia on the last tour, Madison, uh, actually uh, Boston Garden show i think 94 95 around that time and yeah we spent some time uh on the lot you know uh and shakedown street in particular basically you know trying to make enough money to make it to the next show and and then uh was that through selling weed (laughs) we're asking the tough questions here today yeah yeah i mean uh, definitely some weed we used to have all kinds of little deals um you know there was boomers too for sure maybe even a couple tanks of gas but primarily weed and you know we would uh we would definitely or it would innovate. So if I had a big bag of shake or something left over, um, I would charge people $10 for a handful, whatever they could pull out of the bag in one hand. Um, we did things like that. And, and, you know, we basically we invented the $20 eighth, <laughs> the $40 quarter. Back then, everything was 25 or 30 um, or $30.60. So, um, you know, I knew if you could buy in bulk, um, you could drop that price and kind of like corner the market a little bit. So, you know, we were known as like the $20 eighth kids and, and <laughs> that was that, you know, and we had lab grown cubensis from Oregon and, and all kinds of stuff. Luckily, um, the statute of, of limitations has run out on all this stuff, but uh, I guess we could talk about it now. Back then it was pretty hush hush. Uh, not too proud of the, uh, the gas part of it either. You know, obviously, you know, that's the hippie crack. Uh, situation and uh, you know definitely got yelled at by a few uh, um, <laughs> ladies of the lot for taking money off the lot and things like that. And you ever have any like run-ins with the nitrous mafia? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they basically shut shut down our operation at one point. We asked them, you know, just you know, what do we pay to to do this here? And 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 they were like, you don't do this. Yeah, here. There's, there's no amount yeah, of money. Right? You got to be part of the part of their crew. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we had tanks confiscated by the security that were sold to the uh, mafia, you know, a.k.a. nitrous mafia guys. And, you know, after a while, you you get the the drift that uh, they just don't want you doing that. But, you know, they didn't mind if we had uh, some bud or some boomers and things like that. And, you know, you could trade that for tickets to the show. You could, uh, you know, get some heady vegan burritos. (laughs) <laughs> that you can some goo balls you right. know so wait wait what year are we talking here what, what about gosh i mean i would just say throughout the 90s throughout pretty the 90s. much yeah right up until you know 2000 or so you know that's when um kind of settled into my high times gig and yeah so how how did you end up working for high times not <laughs> not necessarily as the grow guru that you've become right but originally no of course uh i started off really uh because i was working at headcase and we made the hemp baseball hats we made hats for high times we made them for fish and deep banana blackout and all the all the bands that were around we made them for the high times bong hitters which is the softball team so uh you know, I got I became part of the softball team in like the '90s. Um, so before you worked at High Times, right? Because was, you were, your company was making those hats, you got introduced. Yeah. Well, we were two of the only kind of marijuana related companies on the East Coast in a lot of ways at that time. 
hemp stores were just kind of opening up. And so we were making money, uh, you know, with the baseball hats and hemp clothing. And we were just a close partner of High Times. We advertised in the magazine. We made their hats and shirts. And so, you know, we got to know each other through that. And I got that's how I got on the softball team. And then, uh, you know, I guess I just started working part time when uh, the receptionist would be out or, you know, breaking down boxes. Then we moved offices from uh, the old office to the new office. And I helped with the move. And basically after that, right around, uh, geez, 2002 is when I started full time. And what was your title then? uh, I think it was marketing manager or something like that. I was involved with the products. I was, um, you know, shipping uh, boxes of products to different places and, and, uh, you know, basically keeping track of our inventory of, you know, books and DVDs and things like that. Uh, I, I just wanted to do anything to get my foot in the door. And I, you know, I hear from a lot of people now, you know, how do I get a job at high times? How do I get a job in this or in the marijuana industry? And the key is really just be there, get your foot in the door and be willing sure. to start at the bottom and start work at your the way bottom, up, yeah. start, you know, start at the bottom. I, I, you know, if I were, if I were out there right now, you know, graduating college or whatever, looking for something, I'd go and be a trimmer. Uh, at one of these spots in Denver for 12 bucks an hour, learn the ins and outs of it from from working there. And just, it, you know, as long as you work hard and uh, show enthusiasm and show that you can, you know, work as well as be stoned and all those things, um, you, you'll rise up very quickly. And I know plenty of stories like that. And that's kind of my story. You know, I started, got my foot in the door and then, you know, I had already been a grower. I had already known these things, but visiting with all you know starting to write articles and getting gaining access to different spaces i started to learn even more about the right and the wrong ways to cultivate and uh you know i still when i walk into a garden i you know i look around for the things that are innovations and things that you know even if it just you know helps by three percent or five percent that's that's massive uh help to a harvest and when you're talking about grams per watt you really need to uh you know, uh, just get every every benefit you can out of uh, every little trick in the book. Yeah, but speaking of learning and uh, and getting help along the way, you had some pretty good mentors when you first came to High Times. Right? Yes, absolutely. Um, we've had them on the show. I mean, Kyle Cushman was uh, you know instrumental in me understanding basically that I could you know, write about growing and things like that. Cause you know, I started out, it did some interviews with some musicians and things like that. And then, you know, he cut out for the West coast and, uh, you know, he just had it with New York. He was, uh, you know, he wanted to work in the industry hands on. And, and so he went out there and of course he, he accomplished that he's there at Buds and Roses doing his thing, winning cups and growing really incredible medicine. And yeah, he, you know, he, he definitely was a mentor. He helped me out a lot as far as, you know, getting started with the writing, the who, what, when, why, where kind of aspect of grow writing. You really, you know, the step-by-step, the how-to, um, that kind of technical writing. I, I you know, I, I you know, graduated college and I knew how to write, but I didn't necessarily know how to impart uh, knowledge through writing. And he, he helped me out with that. Um, Dave Bienenstock as an editor um, really helped me out a lot. Uh, Steve Bloom, of course, and uh, Chris Simonek, and of course, Jorge Cervantes. You know, the words uh, that I read of his really taught me the most about growing that I ever really, that I ever learned um, was from his indoor grow Bible. So, um, you know, Ed Rosenthal had already uh, parted ways with high times at that point. So I didn't really 
um, know him, but of course I'd read his books and, you know, he's a great mentor as well through his writing. And Mel Frank, you know, uh, who we will have on a panel in L.A., uh, which is exciting. He, he, you know, his writing as well, um, the Marijuana Insider Guide, I think it's called, really um, opened my eyes just to the fact that you could grow marijuana indoors and not, it, you know, not have to uh, compromise or, or make changes to uh, the life cycle of the plant. Yeah. So, okay, you're you're soaking all this in from these uh, these great growers, and you're learning. You're becoming a cultivation reporter. Mm-hmm. How did you end up as our senior cultivation editor here at High Times? Uh, you know, well, like I said, uh, Kyle uh, Kyle left at the time. Uh, you know, we were um, basically, I guess, <laughs> a little bit desperate for for you know in house content. Uh, you know, we suffered a little bit of a setback in 2004. We came back really strong in 2005, but we didn't really have too much of a budget. So, you know, I had to do a lot of writing, and uh, that just led to, um, you know, farming out some writing to freelancers. And then, and just real quick, what, what Dan I think is referring to there is the the experiment where High Times took the pot out of the magazine <laughs> in 2004, right? Right, yeah. right. So when we came back, it was like the buds are back, but you know, we we had we had done some damage to. Uh, you know, to our sales and things like that. We didn't have huge budgets. Um, not that we have huge budgets now, but we didn't have much of a budget at all. A lot of things had to come from in-house, and uh, that led to basically, uh, you know, freelancers turning in their work to me and me editing their work uh, for publication. And then, you know, that became cultivation editor. Uh, I hired Nico. We hired him to come in and 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 do some writing around that time as well. And uh, he became the reporter and I became the editor. And then, you know, little by little, he started editing his own freelancer stories and became cultivation editor. And I became senior cultivation editor, just sort of overseeing the the department. Uh, and, you know, I learned a lot of, about that from Chris Simonek, who was the cultivation editor when I started and now is our editor in chief. And so he, he understands, I think, in a lot of ways, like, you know, how much grow needs to be in the mag, how the grow should sound and look. And so, um, yeah, it's just been an incredible process. I never really planned any of it out this way. I just really just wanted to be a part of the mag. And I never, you know, had aspirations to kind of any, you know, higher office. It was just, I was just happy to see my name in print and contribute and get to go to these events. I mean, God, I can't count the amount of times I've been to Amsterdam and uh, the travel, you know, is just the best. Going to Spain and Vancouver and Denver and L.A. and all the places where we have events and cups. It's 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 just been uh, an incredible ride. And then, you know, I, I, I'm lucky and, you know, I think I worked hard for it. Uh, but it's really just been one deadline after another. I never really um, had a five or a ten year plan or any kind of idea of where this would all lead. And then, of course, one of the the very big moments of your career is when uh, Jorge Cervantes, who had who'd, uh, written the um, Ask Jorge, was that it? Uh, yeah, well, it was the Jorge's RX. Jorge's RX for years. Ten years. kind of turned that over to you when it became Dear Danko, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, after ten years of, of uh, answering the girl questions, he, you know, he basically uh, expressed that he was a bit burnt out and uh, just, you know, didn't really feel like he had more answers to give and sort of handpicked me as his successor, which was, 
um, yeah, I mean, humbling and, and amazing to say the least. I mean, just being able to hang out with him and, and see the way that people, um, you know, admire him and thank him for the things that he was able to teach them. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, he's changed so many lives in that way. And so, yeah, that was that was uh, definitely very, very much one of the highlights of my career. And it um, must be odd because now you are the guy who might potentially be changing other young activists or growers lives out there with the, the reach you have with Dear Denko. Yeah, I mean, as I, I like I said, I think growing is a political act. So when you when you can grow more, you're you're more politically active in that in that way. So. Um, you know, if I've had that kind of effect, that's great. Um, but it's really not about me. It's about the plant. And I think a lot of people make it about them. And it, like, I, you know, I just, it's about the plant. Um, Jorge, myself, Ed, Kyle, we all, you know, we all do this for the greater glory of cannabis, marijuana, pot, weed, whatever it may be. It's the flower that we love. And so, um, all this personality stuff, it's, it's nice, it's nice to get accolades and it's really amazing to hear from listeners and fans how, um, we were able to impact them. But the truth is, you know, that information that we were providing is the important thing, not who we are or our, you know, personalities or, or any of that. So, um, yeah, it's just about the plant. Well, that's the magic of high times. It provides information on a subject that, you know, doesn't, there's not a lot of information readily available. Out yeah, there, so. yeah, and it's one of it's one of the pleasures of my life to know that um, there's work that of mine that's banned. I'm, we've probably talked about that on the show before, but um, coming from the Soviet Union, hearing the stories my parents told about um, secret police, KGB, and how how they were afraid of people's words, afraid of poems and paintings because they couldn't understand them or because they felt it was a threat. So to me, it's such a badge of honor. You know, I mean, you're on a list with people like Mark Twain and, uh, I mean, obviously I'm not comparing myself to those people, but it's, what I'm saying is to, to have your work banned to me is it's a badge of honor. And, you know, it's like being on Nixon's enemies list, you know, in the, in the sixties or something. It's, you know, you wear that with pride, you know, dangerous at the time, but looking back, it actually is a feather in your cap. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we have to wrap this up. I just have one last question for you. What do you, what do you like best about marijuana? Wow. Um, I like the communal aspect of uh, basically reaching an elevated state with a group of people. And they could be, they could not even have to be able to speak the same language, but, um, you know, you smoke together in a group and you're kind of on a similar level. Um, so I guess that's what I would say. The, uh, the uh, sharing the elevation with a group of people. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. That was an excellent interview. How'd it feel? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Cathartic? A little bit. Yeah? Got the story out there. All right, everybody. um, Stick around. We'll be back with more free weed. All right. Well, that uh, was probably more than you ever really needed to know about Danny Danko. I will just mention that... um, I sent out a tweet early in the week asking if people wanted to hear that, and I got mostly positive responses, but many of them kind of were like uh, what At Fastberry wrote, which was, yes, interview Danny Danko, that sounds good, but please harass him. I don't feel like I did a good enough job harassing him, but anyway, we are now in the cultivation section, and instead of Danny Danko answering your grow questions, we have Craig Coffey. Now, 
you are not just the director of technology. You know a lot about Growing Pot, and you are very qualified to do this segment, right? Mm. Not firsthand experience, <laughs> but you've seen it. You know, I've been reading High Times for you've a very long time. You've been reading High Times forever. Yep. Exactly. So you guys are in good hands. Craig is going to help you out. Here we go. Our first question comes from Mario. Um, I can't figure out why my closet is running so cool. It's two feet deep, five feet wide, and eight feet tall. I have an LED and a CFL in there, and my room runs about 75 to 80 degrees, but the closet gets as low as 65 sometimes. So what can I do about this uh, this temperature? Well, it's first thing, you probably, this room I'm guessing is uh, against or near a outside wall. You know, you're probably getting a draft in there. It's probably the reason it's cold. But I would address your heat issue with your light, actually. Those are kind of not the best lights you should be growing with. You know, you can... Especially with an eight-foot-tall ceiling, if you got something small like a 400-watt HID lamp, you could easily be pulling a pound per cycle out of that closet. I don't know what you're pulling now, but it's probably not a pound, and the light would take care of your heat problem immediately. In fact, you might have the opposite problem after getting a light like that. It might get a little too warm. Now, is it possible to uh, to sort of change it up and have you know one uh, light that runs hot and then an LED light or a CFL to balance it out, or do you have to go sort of one or the other? You can you could use the CFL and the LED as supplemental lighting. It's not a, it's not a bad idea, but um, if electricity consumption is a, an issue for you, even though the H, the uh, CFL and the HID are lower wattage consuming products, if you're running an HID and those two on the same thing, that's you now you're starting to add up a little bit there. You know it may not be worth the extra juice unless you're getting wispy buds or something. But you know if you had a a good 400 watt lamp, um, keep it less than a foot above the canopy or a little more than a foot above the canopy, you know, 12, uh, 14 inches or so, you should be pulling like big, chunky, nice top buds without the need of any additional lighting. All right. Well, hopefully that helps, Mario. I'm glad Craig is here because my first reaction was your closet is obviously haunted. (laughs) But no, apparently it is not. So let's move on. Uh, Alejandro writes us from Costa Rica. Uh, He planted four seeds uh, he planted seeds four days ago, and now they're about an inch or two tall. Uh, however, I'm not sure about the weather conditions here. The balcony where I have them gets maybe five or six hours of direct sunlight when it's sunny, and it's almost always sunny. But then uh, it gets daylight, but not direct for the rest of the day, and it gets dark around 6 p.m. So uh, it seems that they're growing pretty strong and healthy so far, but I'm not really using any special products or lamps or bulbs or anything like that. Is it possible to grow healthy, bud-filled plants just by normal water and everyday climate? What do you think, Craig? Also, he wonders, should I move the plants indoors at any point during the day? Okay, the answer to the question, is it possible? Yes, but you're not going to ever end up, well, not ever, but you're probably not going to end up with something that looks like what you see inside of our magazine or anything like that. Uh, Most of that is a result of pretty high-intensity lights or greenhouses and perfect environments all the time. Um, You know, one thing that that came up when we read this question is I, I just... I know in Costa Rica, you're probably pretty close to the equator, and I just don't know what, like, the uh, day and night cycles are out there, how long a day it's it's bright out. Um, Even in the wintertime, it might be light out too long for that plant to aggressively flower. So bringing it indoors might not be a bad idea for flowering, but if you do that, what you really got to do is make sure you put that plant in a dark place and keep that as a a hard regimen because even a little bit of light in the night cycle of the plant could be bad it'll make it herm and things like hermaphrodite things like that all right great yeah so do you recommend him bringing 
the plants in? No, or? here's what your is your end goal. I want to try and flower a cannabis plant and uh, as you know, an experiment or a hobby or something like that. And if that's your end goal, the easiest thing to do is just leave it outside, let nature do its thing. You're not going to get a tremendous yield or anything like that, but you'll get to see what happens with the plant. Uh, if you want to grow for yield, you should move indoors. Like I mean, the whole thing, you know, not. Yeah, not just during the day, yeah. just move all indoors. All right. Well, yeah, obviously we need a little more info there to give you the best answer, but hopefully that helps you out, Alejandro, and write us back and let us know uh, how it's going. Let's move to Twitter for our next question. Uh, it's at Danny Danko, at MyQs underscore, hashtag free weed. At Oganja tweets, writes us, uh, hey guys, love the podcast. What's the best remedy for controlling rust on my leaves, or should I just start over? Rust on your leaves. That's confusing. That is confusing. Uh, I think what you mean is probably like rust-colored spots, maybe brown spots, and that sounds like a nutrient deficiency. And if that's the case, are you talking about a few spots, a few small spots? Because then maybe you could save that crop. But if the plant is covered with them all over and you're not really committed to this garden yet, then maybe cutting down and doing a little more research and starting from scratch is a better idea. Makes sense to me. Well, uh, Addo Ganja tweets, uh, let us know a little bit more about that problem. How bad is the uh, rust on the leaves? Rust? Uh, well, you know, I'm getting a, a note here from some from from our uh, IT guy, Pete. Uh, rust on Wikipedia could also be a fungus. I've never Ooh. heard of this fungus, though. So if that's the case, you know, maybe you'd want to start with some sort of a fungicide, maybe like an Einstein oil or neem oil or something like that, a treatment. And, you know, also... you. I don't know, one plant. Is it like, is this a hobby or is this a committed garden that you've put some money into and stuff? Is it worth saving? Right. Sometimes you know, the best thing to do is just, you know, you got to know take when to cut and... your losses and start, yeah, learn a lesson and start from scratch. Even I've seen people with giant, expensive grow rooms with a lot of money involved have a mite problem and you just got to make a tough decision sometimes and eat a few thousand dollars lost to save a few more weeks of losing money. Yeah, there's usually that turning point where you realize you're not going to win that war. Yeah, and the turning point is usually earlier than you want to admit to yourself, you know? <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, that's true of many things in life. Um, but yeah, maybe uh, at Oganja Tweets, maybe maybe email us a photo of what you're dealing with, and uh, we'll better address it in an upcoming uh, episode. So thank you for that. And uh, let's go back to email for our last grow question. It is uh, freeweed at hightimes.com if you want your question answered on air. And uh, Bayou Horns writes us, uh, what's the best way to collect and store pollen? How long can pollen stay viable? And what are the best ways to apply pollen on a flowering female plant? What do you think, Craig? All right, I've seen a, a couple of different ways this is done. The one that I think is the best and the easiest is just like uh, pollen is, um, I don't know if they're correct. I think it's electrostatic is the term. It, it it's charged, basically. So if you get the plastic shopping bag or something like that that you get from the grocery store and you cover a branch of a uh, flowering, a male flowering cannabis plant, the pollen kind of sticks to the inside of the bag. You know, it's pretty easy to collect that way. But once it's in the bag, you can keep that bag in your freezer for months, maybe even years. I'm not exactly sure, but for a long time. And when you have a female plant that you want to seed one branch, not the whole garden, one branch, you could take that bag and put it over a branch tie it, shake it around, and that pollen just stays localized on one branch of a plant. And uh, I don't want to give away anybody's trade secrets, but I've even seen a few people pollinate four or five different kinds of pollen onto one female plant. So one female set of genetics with four or five different sets of male genetics on different branches is like a breeding experiment. 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, how, how does that work, like the end result of that? Well, like each seed is its own representation of wow. crossing the male pollen, the female. So that one plant would produce seeds of like one, five different. One Each branch that you put a bag over would have a different cross of genetics based on the male pollen you had in the bag to start with. You know? That's pretty good if you have a sort of limited space and you're looking for a little variety there. Uh, how long will store uh, will pollen last if you're storing it? Uh, you know, I've heard, I've no firsthand experience, but I've heard like years in the right conditions and by the right conditions like dry and cold all right makes sense to me uh we hope that helps you there by you horns and uh if you have a grow question that you would like answered on free weed write us free weed at hightimes.com uh, also uh twitter at danny danko at my cues underscore hashtag free weed now's the time of the show where i tell you about our sponsor bc northern lights um, we at High Times love BC Northern Lights. They make great grow boxes like the producer, the bloom box, the roommate. If you're dealing with limited space in your home and you want to grow some some pot, either for a head stash or, or even for more than that, check out BC Northern Lights grow boxes. They stand by their product. Uh, they're up in British Columbia. We love them. Uh, we just interviewed Taryn last week. He's a great guy. So uh, check them out online, bcnorthernlights.com. You could also call them uh, seven days a week, one 888-236-1266. So definitely check out BC Northern Lights. Uh, if you mention free weed when you make your order, you get six months of free nutrients. We confirmed that last week, so that's not just something I'm saying. Uh, check them out. And uh, Craig and I will be back to wrap it up with Raw after this. Here we are. We're wrapping it up with Raw. Dude, this has been like this weird mindfuck for me. I've been so used to looking over at Dan all these all this time. But yeah, I mean, me and Denko are like trading places right now. I'm supposed to be in, I'm not supposed to be, but I should be, I guess, maybe in L.A. doing intake. He's doing my job and I'm doing his job. Yeah, this is getting weird. I'm on a radio show. That's pretty freaking weird. Man. Yeah. Out, and it must be weird for him actually doing work. And, and this, you know, like. <laughs> when I first asked Craig if he wanted to step in for Dan today, uh, he was wondering if we could just do the top 10 things you don't know about Danny Danko, which would I think that's a really good episode. We might have to do that no, in the future. Dan is a dear friend. I'm not sure if I'm going to be any part of that. No, and he's an excellent golfer. As you as you point out all the time, um, well, thank you very much. When do you head out to Los Angeles for the judging? Um, I'll be there on February first. February first. That's it. And then then the Super Bowl. That's right. Nice. Well, I'll be joining you out uh, shortly after that. Thank you so much for for guest hosting Free Weed for the first time. Wow. Anytime Danko decides to go someplace and do something and I'm around and not doing anything, I'll be here, I guess. You're the guy. Well, you already have been on the show more than anybody else, I think. You've made, you've made a bunch of appearances. So. Yeah, yeah, like cameos. Cameos, yeah, exactly. At first, you didn't even want us to use your name, but now you're growing into this. Maybe you'll get your own spinoff show. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back uh, at some point with the real Danny Danko for episode 54. We're out. Okay.